Hey guys, welcome to Fat Mascara. I'm Jen. I'm Jess. So this is a very special podcast. You probably noticed something a little different. We do not have a commercial in the beginning. That's because this whole podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fairmanish, the world's largest privately owned fragrance company involved in the research, creation, manufacture, and sale of perfume. So you've probably heard us mention Fermanish in the podcast before. It's a company that creates many of the world's most popular fine fragrances from your favorite fragrance labels. Their perfumers are behind scents like Giorgio Armani Aqua di Gio and Ralph Lauren Romance. So the reason we're doing this podcast is because every year, Fermanish hosts a Mind, Nose, and Matter program, and it showcases new innovations and technologies in the fragrance industry, of course, addresses questions the industry is facing, and talks about emotions in the context of fragrance. It's just very interesting, and we've been watching it for years. Okay, the program and research presented is usually only available to their clients, but they let us get a sneak peek and we were absolutely fascinated. So we asked them if we could work with them to bring some of what we learned to the public and you. I was like, when you saw the whole program and got the fragrances that they developed for this program, were you not a kid in a candy store? I spent my whole Saturday night going through it and just like getting so excited about all the materials. It was fascinating. I felt like I was in perfume class, and usually I throw out like the box that things come in. I have kept the whole set to just keep going back to. And when I saw it, I'm so glad we're doing this, but when I saw it, I was like, I want every single one of our listeners to like have this whole experience. I'm sorry it's we couldn't send tre- the fragrances. To yeah, it's a treasure. <laughs> it is a treasure trove. Okay, so we don't have that, but we have almost the next best thing, right? Which is this podcast. So we have two amazing experts that we're talking to from Fairmanish. First up, Justin Welch is the director of marketing, and he was one of the people that helped put together this whole Mind, Nose, and Matter program. And then after a little break, we have principal perfumer Frank Vocal, who is going to talk to us all about his craft. And together, you're going to get a whole picture of what fragrance is about right now. And again, just to remind you, this podcast is brought to you without commercial interruption, thanks to our sole sponsor for the show, Fermanish Fine Fragrances. This was so much fun. How much fun do we have doing this? A lot of fun. I'm just like hoping everybody enjoys it as much as we did. Yeah. Now come on, come along for this fragrance fantasy ride. This is incredible. Justin, hi. We're so excited to have you here because you're the person, or should I say, one of the people behind Fermanisha's Mind, Nose, and Matter program. So yeah. I have to think you love fine fragrance as much as we do. Is that right? Like, tell us how you even got this cool job that we wish we had. Yeah, definitely one of many people. And let me say thanks so much to the both of you for having me on today and oh, so getting the chance to, to represent them. I adore, love, obsessed with fragrance. I never would have dreamed that my life would be all about that, but somehow that's the life that I now lead. And if I were to think back, my gosh, when I was like 12, 13 years old, just like a little boy in Southwestern Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, getting my first CK1 fragrance, thinking that I was one of those people, like I was going to hang out with Kate Moss and the cool kids in New York (laughs) City. Uh... You know, it just spoke to the power of scent then. And, you know, what I know about it now, it's become so much more rich and it's even more than the ads and the models. There's a real science to all of this and psychology behind all of it that really informs all of the choices that are made across all of the different brands. So yes, obsessed, adore it. 
Very cool. So I got to, yes, I, I too wanted to be hanging out in that ad, the black and white ad, just like <laughs> yes. being cool in a flannel shirt and like nothing else. <laughs> it was definitely not here. my life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're finally no, here. You made it. <laughs> I Listen, whenever I came into Furmanish and I was like, oh my gosh, like the perfumers to CK1, even like the fragrance development person on CK1, like those were the people that I was working with. And like crazy to think what can happen in this life. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, you're you're finally here and I'm so happy you're here on Fountain Mascara. Um, I need to know, why do you, I mean, well, I feel like you you are living like the answer to this question. Why do you think emotion and fragrance are tied together? I mean, you didn't even mm. need to smell CK1. You were just like, I want it. You know, when you saw the commercial, <laughs> it could have smelled like nothing. Yeah. I mean, there are some stats to all of this where, you know, 75% of all the emotions that we experience during a day are, are felt through scent. Or even other crazier ones like you know, you're 100 times more likely to remember something that you smell over something that you see, hear, or touch. Oh, wow. Now, why does that happen? And it really comes down to the body's biology and the way that all of this is working inside of your brain. The way that we smell, it, it goes through an olfactory bulb. And where that's located in our brains it has this privileged position where it's right beside the amygdala and the hippocampus. And listen, I'm not a doctor, but I now know these things to say <laughs> those two regions are responsible for you know, emotions and memory. And the crazy thing about scent is it gets to even surpass the logical, rational cortex part of your brain. It goes immediately to the emotional. And so I think that's why you hear things like, oh my gosh, you know, whenever I smelled that, I was carried off to this place or I felt like I was there again or I felt like they were there again. Mm -hmm. And it's because your brain already has these pathways that scent is allowed to ride on in a super quick, powerful way. The power of scent is like stronger than you. It's stronger than like being rational. It's stronger than yeah, yeah, yeah. logic. Mm -hmm. And... And I feel like you said 100%, uh, you were 100 times more likely to remember something if we smell it. Yeah. Is that like, hap we don't realize that's happening, right? It's no. like deep inside of our brain. Yep. And so it gets to skip this rational, logical part of our brains, which is, that's neither good nor bad. It just is what it is. And so because of all of that, yeah, we are not aware that all of this is happening. And so all of the stimuli that we experience throughout the day, it's just automatic stuff. It's sort of instinctually inside of our brains. And I think that's why even that scent can really surprise you. And that's because it, you know, it is invisible. It just sort of shows up out of nowhere. And sometimes it can like get catch you off guard. Yeah. You know what I found really surprising when I was like looking through all of the things that you put together for the brands that you work with, mm -hmm. it was crazy to me that fragrance follows trends. Like our mm -hmm. listeners know that beauty, like makeup and hair follows a trend, but you can't see perfume. Like, oh, I saw some celebrity walk the red carpet. You don't know if he or she were wearing a perfume. So how do these trends even come about if there's no like visual representation for them? How does that work? This is the part that really blew my mind whenever I started working at Furmanish. And we have these huge resources in consumer insights and R&D, people who really understand the brain and then have developed fragrances for decades. 
fragrance is a real reflection of what's going on in the world. You know, what are the emotions that people are feeling, at least in terms of what are the most popular fragrances or what are the brands that seem to catch on? And it's because people are missing something emotionally. Mm. And so how is it that fragrance can answer that for them? It's almost as if you have to diagnose what's going on so that you can prescribe the solution. And if you're able to figure out what's the real sort of tension that they're experiencing, and it doesn't have to be something super serious or bad. It's just a want or a desire. So you figure that out. You then sort of put it onto the other side to give them you know, something that's really going to answer that. And it might not be visual, although you see it in all of the, the branding and advertising, which definitely matters. But it is emotional and it's a feeling and it's very real. And if you look back, the same way that it works in fashion, you know, in the 80s where things were big and brass and it was about greed and money and success, you see fragrances that were huge. They were gigantic in terms of power and presence. They weren't really meant to be wallflowers. And so you have things like, like obsession. And then... What's crazy, and it always works like this in trends, so you see the same thing in fashion, is that the maximalism of the 80s is answered by the minimalism of the 90s. And so in scents that are created like a Lodice, which is meant to smell like, like water, or like a CK1, which is like a classic sort of cologne, a unisex fragrance, or even like an Estee Lauder Pleasures, these were simple, clean, pure, fresh fragrances. And you see that even to today with the trends that are happening and I was thinking about this before our, our call here. And I was thinking, well, what would have been the trend for the past five or eight years? And first I was thinking about it and I thought, it's about naturals. That's what everybody wants. And then I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's more about ingredients. And then I was like, it's not even that. That doesn't capture it either. I think it got to a place and what we're seeing right now in the presence of a lot of natural, organic, sustainable, or niche branding is this need for safe, for real, for things that matter and have purpose and have have real meaning. And what's crazy in all of this is what you're seeing right now is not just somebody talking about a brand and what they want out of the brand. They're talking about what do they want out of their lives. They want all of those things in their life. They want to experience something that's real and honest Mm -hmm. and safe because the world right now is the opposite of every single one of those words. (laughs) We're surrounded by fake. We're surrounded by things that are incredibly unsafe, that things that don't matter you know, we live moment mm-hmm. to moment and there are a lot of things that have gotten us to this place. And and now I think what we're trying to do is to course correct. Where how do you where do you see that manifesting? Like are you able to like cite a, a fragrance or like a category of fragrances? I think that you see it with all of those niche brands, the brands that started off as niche that now are actually quite mainstream. These artisanal brands that when they were first sort of talking about heritage and history, and then it became about the ingredients and who was farming it, or who were even the perfumers, and then even allow for this other thing where there are these fully blown, actualized stories. I remember even... There are little tricks that I think about all the time. And so when I was thinking about niche and what are the things that are happening here, 
they exist like a real story. There's a who, what, when, where, and why in the stories that they create. It isn't mm-hmm. simply just a designer or simply just a celebrity or even just a, a color. There's an actualized world. And so I saw that in all of those newer niche brands that, you know, right? They're, they're, like I said, they're not niche anymore. They're everywhere. Can we ask you these two? There's two themes that have sort of come up on our podcast over the course of the season mm-hmm. that I feel like might play into this. We don't like to think we're just like everyone else. Obviously, mm-hmm. Jess and I are very special. Very special. <laughs> However, women. as you were talking, I was like, oh, I know exactly, I think I know what you're talking about. For example, me, and I know Jess has an example as well, but I have been going camping. Like every weekend I've been like, get me out of the city, get me into nature. I just want to like go hiking and be like a little kid playing in the grass. Is that, am I special? Or is that like how everybody's feeling that? Like (laughs) get back to nature vibes. I, well, you have two ideas in there that I'm obsessed with right now. That you spoke about nature and you also spoke about being a little kid. And I think, you know, it was a few (laughs) years ago where we were studying the millennials And what we saw was that nature became a luxury. It was something that they missed. And there's something we say at Furmanish, you know, luxury doesn't have to mean expensive. Luxury is something that is hard to get. And nature became something that's really hard for people to achieve again. And so that's on on one side. And that, you know, we talked about that with the millennials. And then it was just a few years later talking about Gen Z. Nature is still there, but this other form of luxury that they long for, which is the innocence of childhood. And so you grow up in this world exposed to information designed for adults. You are giving these machines that I would never have, they would never have been put into my hand when I was six years old or 12 years old, (laughs) knowing what was capable or what we could have been exposed to. And so the answer to being exposed to everything. It's almost as if you want to forget everything. And it's like that phrase, ignorance is bliss. It's a little bit like that, but I prefer to call it innocence. It's, I think, a nicer word than ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I think that for sure, Jen, that's absolutely it. Wanting to go back to nature and to feel the innocence of childhood, I only think it's going to become bigger. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this. Yeah. I'm sure you guys talk about this stuff too on the podcast. This was years ago with like millennial pink or like why, what was norm core? Why was everybody dressing like how little kids dress? Why is that happening? <laughs> and we, we want to feel it. it. One of the things, um, I, I love nature, but I am uh, very often like kind of like sequestered in the city. I have an eight month old child. So like I'm not you know, getting out hiking quite as much as Jen is right now. And I'm very much hunkered down. And one of the things that I'm doing is like creating like little like home rituals. Like I'm constantly like, you know, I'm not exactly running out to a spa, regardless of whether or not it's open. I'm trying to make like my environment like as cozy, cozy, comfortable as possible. Like right now I'm burning my like, you know, my like, candle that smells like a fireplace. I have like 40 different body lotions on Mm -hmm. rotation. Everything is very like, keep it cozy. My cousin always has this mantra, keep it cozy. Like whatever you do, keep it cozy. That's kind of my adopted mantra for 2020 right now. Are you seeing this kind of like sensorial... Um, even my my hand sanitizer I'm holding up, you guys can't see, but it smells like cedar. I've talked about it on the show. It's like everything as aromatic and 
I don't know. It's like I'm I'm making this like insular gesture right now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit like I feel like it's kind of related to this idea of I don't know if it, it's not, not back to the womb, but <laughs> the oh, ultimate nostalgia. <laughs> but, no, for I'm sure. I'm so nostalgia. I want to go back inside. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but it's like um, I don't know. It's kind of a. It's like a protective thing. It's like yeah. it's not even just like it's not fancy spa like. It's 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 like a step deeper than that. And I think that's that's totally valid. Completely real. I think that we might forget sometimes that our senses are there for us to really survive. And we don't think of the sense of smell as a tool of survival all the time because we don't have to worry about surviving all the time. But really, it's meant to be there so you can discern whether or not something is dangerous, whether or not you know it, whether or not it is safe. And so I think building a bubble and this protective sort of force field around you it's we've Force seen it, and I field. think it's. I like that. I remember we worked with this cultural anthropologist, and what he said, and I loved this olfactively, is that you need to understand what safety really is. And safety has two different energies, and they're very different. One is safety, and it's it's supportive, and it's soft, and it's feminine, sort of stereotypically feminine. Mm-hmm. And the other is is its opposite, where it's security. And it's there to protect you and it's hard and it's more stereotypically masculine. And the trick then is how do you create a fragrance? How do you tell a story that has both of those energies together? And so you have this thing that sort of holds you from below and protects you from above. And that's me speaking in metaphors, but whenever you pull that together olfactively or even you're talking about your cedarwood fragrance, you know, that's something that's pretty sleek, little rough, sort of classically masculine, and that I don't know the other scents that are in your home, but I'm sure that it marries well with things that are a bit softer and um, maybe more gourmand and cozy, like you yeah, said. Yeah, I do. Th- I love the thing you said, olfactive force field. I think we all feel that in our own ways, no matter where we live or what our circumstances. Um, and then related to it, you know, you mentioned like nostalgia and this idea of like childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen and I, since the whole pandemic started, like we've had like little, you know, like, haha, like nervous jokes about like what we're doing to like, you know, make ourselves feel better. Um, I definitely am like a nostalgia, like freakazoid. That's like like one of my like sad hobbies is like looking online and like watching old TV commercials, old Laura Ashley catalogs, old 1980s, you know, YouTube commercials. But like these things are actually trending right now in pop culture. I am not alone. Right? Like not at all. What kind of sense are nostalgic? Because like what's what's fun for me is maybe maybe isn't fun for our one of our yeah, listeners. Like Cedar is, yeah. is nostalgic for Jess because she says it reminds her of the closets of her vacation home when yeah. she was a kid. I, I didn't own the vacation home. But yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, just that sounds like <laughs> right, my right. vacation home. Yeah, where we used to go as kids. Um but yeah, but um, you know, that for me is something, but for our listeners in maybe like Australia or England, they may have mm-hmm. a very different um or Asia, you know, very different Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's completely cultural. Nostalgia is different for everyone. I think that the nostalgia that you feel, the feeling, or at least the description of the feeling, could be similar for everybody. You know, this idea of safety and excitement together, that's, that's the best type of childhood that anybody could have. Safety and and excitement. 
that's for any of us. That's what we long for. It's like the so woods, you, you know, ex- yeah. exploring, but it's like, you know, that you're not going to like literally get eaten by a bear. Can I tell you, I, we have the social media insights team and we were looking at the feelings of childhood and the sense of wonder and the wilderness. And what was crazy is that the color palettes were sort of nursery rhyme pastels with sort of classic natural earth brown, sort of green, blue. And mm. the, the two things came together. And so whenever we were talking about it at work, it was like, how do you, how do you take the nursery outside? Even mm. more than that, mm. I don't know if you remember the logo for the Cabbage Patch dolls. Yes. Where the little baby's head was like blooming out of a cabbage, of the cabbage in the yeah. garden. And I was like, you guys, that's the idea. Does this make sense? What does it smell like? That's, that's the idea. And so, so, so what does it smell like? Not I mean, literally. my gosh, in that fragrance, I I adore it. It's from one of our perfumers and she creates a lot of baby safe fragrances. And I saw how much baby safe was trending and it wasn't only just for babies. It was also trending for women because they thought of these products as safe and moisturizing. And I was like, let's use that as a claim. And what does it mean? And so you create this sort of I always think about things in different structures. And so on one half of it, you have this sense of sort of baby talc cleanliness. And then on the other side, it's almost as if you've pulled beets right from the ground. Mm. And the bizarreness of these two things somehow working perfectly together, where you take clean and you take dirty, and somehow it, it creates something that's incredibly pure and honest. Oh, I love this. And it's really, really emotional, yeah. If Fermanish were to sell that juice to a fragrance label and they bottled it for people, people wouldn't even realize. What I hear you saying is like, they wouldn't even realize why they're responding to it, right? The emotions just wash over you. But that you actually have the job of like making that little formula (laughs) go together so that, you know, you you are triggering emotion without even like spelling it out for people. It's very cool. Um, Yeah. This is going to seg perfectly to my next question. (laughs) <laughs> which is about sex. So we've had a lot of perfumers on the show and it's almost it's it's almost funny how no matter which perfumer we've had on the show, he or she will bring up sex because to them, fragrance is about attraction. Mm-hmm. And I don't see how that's fitting into the world that you just described. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, when the pandemic first started, I was in my bedroom a lot with my husband, you know. So like, how does sex play into all of this? It's a big part of fragrance. I think that, you know, fragrance for me is communication between people. And so sex for me is also this sort of dance or story that happens between people. And what are you telling them without words, which I think is such a big part of sensuality and sex. It doesn't always live in the explicit. It lives in the implicit. It lives in intrigue and mystery. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Esther Perel, but she says all of this stuff. And it's really about not everything needs to be known. Esther Perel is a psychologist. She's a couples therapist, a sexual therapist. She also has this great book called Mating in Captivity. She has some great podcasts as well. And I love all of this because what she says in it is so much of the way that we love nowadays is an answer to feeling unsafe. And so we want to find people that'll just 
sort of become like our parents or our best friends and they serve every single role. So we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to feel sort of off kilter at any point. But what she says is that when you start to live that way, sensuality and sex sort of goes away. Out, out the window. Yeah. Like, like, like we expect them to be all things like best friend, lover, confidant, parent, like boss, like right, everything. Right, right. <laughs> and it's where you, everybody needs to say everything, no secrets, it all on the table. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes secrets are not so bad. You know, your partner <laughs> doesn't need to know every single thought that you're having. Just keep it to you. And so in this, I think what's interesting, I think in the space of fragrance that we're allowing for that safety to exist in these newer brands that are friendlier and it's about friendships. And then I think what we're going to see in this other space is, well, two things. One, where it's safety and excitement, like I said, together, sort of, yeah, that sort of structure. And then I think there's going to be a real space for dark, indulgent, even pure pleasure where it's not about... Am I saving the world? It's more like, oh God, let me just give in to these impulses that Mm -hmm. I have. Mm -hmm. We had run this study called Conscious Consumer and it was about sustainability. And we asked people around the world and we said, well, how much do you expect for this product to be natural or eco-friendly? And what sort of blew my mind was that in the fragrance product category list, there's probably a list of 12. Perfume was next to last, right above toilet bowl cleaner. (laughs) Now that's not to say anything about toilet bowl cleaner. But I think what was great is when we looked at in flavors, what was happening and what was the flavors list like, that at the bottom of the list were things like chocolate and candy and alcohol and liquor. And what I loved about that was it suggested to me that perfume in so many people's minds is about delight and pleasure or even these vices and rewarding yourself. Mm. And so how can you reward yourself or your body with the pleasure of maybe something that's really indulgent, something naughty, something that's not so safe, something that, listen, something can be slightly uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that you're not safe. And I think that's where a lot of excitement can happen. I understand. And and does that... If you think of that olfactively, is yeah. it those things that you just mentioned, like chocolate and liquor, or yeah. the sense that people would respond to like that? And what's crazy too, I mean, those things are not outside of the world of well-being. Those really have a very key role in They're this part of my world wellness. Of exactly right. <laughs> Listen, it's like I can't be following all of these rules all day long. Like, please, can I celebrate? Can there be mm. this rewarding? And I think that there is a space for that. I will also say that in this world where we're obsessed with cleanliness, even the word clean showing up all the time, now even it meaning beyond simply literally clean, like even in terms of a person and purity, I always think like, look at the opposite way. Does dirty then become something? And I really, I believe that even the dirty smells of a human have have a role to play in this. Just a part. It's not the whole thing. It's just a part to get you and your brain going. Okay. All As right. an aside, I don't know if you'll include this, but I 
our R&D team in Geneva, what we do is we have this one tool, it's called Nature Prints, where it sort of pulls in all of the molecules, active compounds that are in the air to figure out the way that something smells by then putting it through a machine. And it's this whole crazy technical process. What I asked them was, do we have this for people and people smells? I think I, was, I, think I wanted the smell of a baby. <gasps> yes. And, and they yes. didn't have it for that, but they were like, Justin, we have these compounds of the dirty smells of the different parts of the human. And I was like, oh tell God. me more about this. Because so much yes. of what we do is we create <sighs> deodorants or detergents to combat these smells. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to use these smells. I don't want to combat them. I want to start a fragrance from them. And it, there's a fragrance that we have in this Mind, Nose, or Matter presentation. And it, I encourage you guys to smell it. It's called Salty. It really is something else. And what is, where did it start from? Where was like the, what was like the... Yeah, which the part root? of the body? The root. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, give us the root. The base. The idea was, uh, the idea was sex on the beach. Okay. And that's because everybody, the beach and salicylates and all of these solar fragrances... The beach, I mean, talking about safety and excitement or sort of relaxing and exciting at the same time, that's exactly what the beach is. And that's why I think that grew into such a huge thing. And so we just wanted to take part of that trend and then mix it with the other part of a trend, which is like natural. And in here it was, Mm -hmm. how do we explore the naturality of the human body? Can we explore the saltiness of the ocean and the saltiness of the human to create something that seems very honest, real, sexy, um, but not scary and off-putting? Are there any other scents that you feel people are craving right now that we did not touch upon? We talked about nostalgia. We talked about, you know... um, like sexy sense. We talked about mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. What else are people really craving? I wonder if in a few years, what we're going to see is an addiction for things that don't smell natural at all. Like that tech smell. sense? Yeah. What is a tech scent? You know, like the hot heat of a Nintendo. I wonder if that's going to become something. And can plastic okay. can plastic become part of a profile to sort of... It's all about pulling at these little things that you have in your head, pulling at all of the different memories. And it isn't something where like there's going to be one fragrance and it'll say, you know, video game console. But maybe a part of that will have a, right. just a little touch of it where you're going to think to yourself, oh, this is my break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or for a lot of people, it's super you know, super exciting. And it's a way that they interact with their friends. I think that's one part of it. I alluded to the other thing where I think there's going to be all of these uh, stronger, even stronger references to nostalgia. And I don't think it's going to be the nostalgia of 16. I think it's going to be the nostalgia of five or four or three. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Wait, this is, we spoke on the podcast recently about the smell of space. A perfumer had tried to like recreate it. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about with these like almost techie kind of scents? I think that's a part of it. I'm always obsessed with space, obsessed. And so I think that, you know, we talk about sustainability each year in My Nose and Matter. 
And in this, uh, this one this year, we talk about, yes, there's our earth and saving our earth, but there are so many people who are looking beyond our earth. I mean, there's like SpaceX launches and whatever else. And it gives, I think, people a sense of hopefulness. And bizarrely, I think that space now is a place that they think they can escape to. And so can there be these sort of weirder foreign alien sense? I think there's, there's a space for that too. And as far as like the technology stuff, I am waiting for the day where technology and science is allowed into, in a really big way, the story of fine fragrance to the mainstream consumer. I think that it'll happen one day, but it's not yet. So that's perfect because you guys have been nice enough to let us interview one of your perfumers, Frank Vogel. So we're going to have him on in the next half of the show. So all everything that you mentioned where you're like, you know, some science happens and we don't know how. And it's more sustainable. I mean, I know you might know, but he's going to help us dig into that more. So you've set us up perfectly for that. And this has been so fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Justin. Well, thanks Justin, so much. I thank appreciate you. it. This is fascinating. And enjoy with Frank. Okay, Frank. Hi, welcome to Fat Mascara. Yes, hello, Jen, and hello, Jessica. Hi. So we had your colleague Justin on, which only brought up more questions that we now have for you. So before we get into that, first off, tell us what inspired you to become a perfumer and how long have you been doing this? Um, well, it's it's been a long time, first of all. Um, and I think it all started when I was a teenager living in Paris my family and, um, you know, especially back then, even more so than today, Paris was a very fragrant city. So you would really, you know, explore smells. I mean, not only good smells, you know, there's also the subway in the summer and all of that. <laughs> but uh, I was more focused on the good sense and, uh, you know, everybody's wearing fragrance every day. And um, somehow I started to collect fragrances, you know, spending my days in a uh, in a store, perfumery store, and uh, smelling fragrances, trying to recognize the fragrance my mom was wearing. And um, uh, coincidentally, a friend of my parents, he knew about a school that um, teaches perfumery in Versailles, in, uh, close to Paris. And, uh, you know, I went there and they explained to me that there's people uh, actually creating fragrance because I had no idea. You know, I was one of those who think that Calvin Klein creates his own fragrances <laughs> and things like that, you know. But uh, so, yeah, once I knew that this uh, métier exists, that's that's what I, when I decided I wanted to do this. And so what are some of the fragrances you've created while at Fermanish or in your career that we might know? Um, yeah, I mean, there's many, many different brands. Uh, just to mention a few, I worked, uh, you know, for Gucci, I worked on the uh, bamboo fragrance. Um, I work on fragrance for Lauder. There's, um, you know, Erin Lauder. She has her own lifestyle and fragrance line. So there's a tuberose Le Soir that I worked on. Mm. I also work with the celebrities, you know, Ariana Grande. So her first fragrance, Ari. Oh, yeah. Um, I created that. And then, um, you know, other prestige brands like Hugo Boss, the Hugo Reverse, Hugo Now, men's fragrances. Um, you know, when we talk to, uh, you know, Justin, one of the words that came up was sustainability. And we know that's really important to firm a niche, but what does that actually mean in the perfume industry? I feel like it's one of those, I'm just, now I'm kind of speaking 
from from myself here. It's one of those words we hear all the time. We know it's good, but I don't really know what it means in practice when you're at the lab. What are you doing to make a perfume more sustainable? Yeah, very good question. And it's certainly something that's very relevant for us because, you know, the consumer behavior has changed and uh, they're very much aware of sustainability. And of course, they even want their fragrances to be, uh, you know, using sustainable products. So, you know, we have done a lot uh, at Firminish, you know, to create tools to actually measure sustainability. Um, And that's, you know, one of the key factors there is the, um, you know, the environmental impact that our ingredients have that we use in our fragrance. So we can measure that. Um, The social impact as well is very important, you know. So, for example, um, we preferably use ingredients that come from um, farms that support their communities, you know. So we have a program called Naturals Together. And uh, they actually, um, so those are our preferred partners to work with natural products. And, uh, you know, we've helped build schools in Haiti. And um, so basically, we help them to, to help themselves. And by using their products, we help those communities. Mm. And then, um, of course, there's also, we don't only use natural, so we also use uh, molecules. And uh, we use what we call a green chemistry. So, you know, when we create those processes or our scientists create those processes to develop those molecules, it's all done in a way so it, there's no harm to the environment. So is um, that... Um Frank, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is that mm-hmm. something called nature print? That's or is something, that something different. Di- okay, that's something different. Because yeah. I wanted yes. to ask you about those in my next question. Mm-hmm. He mentioned something called nature print, where I wasn't quite sure if that was natural or if that was synthetic, but it sounded really fascinating. And it sounded like a way for um, you guys to create something that was naturally inspired, maybe but without taking from the environment. Is that exactly. right? Absolutely right. So nature print, it's, you know, it's actually an imprint from nature. Um, and, and what happens is that, you know, there's a lot of ingredients, natural ingredients that we use, you know, flowers, um, uh, trees, uh, herbs, uh, other plants. And uh, some of them you can extract and others you can't. So there's a, there's a lot of hidden treasures in nature <laughs> out there that we weren't able to extract. Um, and so we, we found a technology, um, you know, many years ago that helps us to sort of capture um, the scent that you get when you, for example, reach over a, a flower and, um, and, and this, uh, the, the molecules that are sort of creating the headspace of that flower uh, you can actually capture those, you know. So when you smell something, um, you know, a plant or, um, yeah, let's say a flower, um, then you get those molecules in your nose and we found a way to capture that, you know. There's like, you, they, they sort of stick on the membrane membrane, and then we, we extract them. It sounds a little, you know, technical and I don't want to go into all the details, but basically we can then sort of rebuild the smell that you would smell, um, you know, in real life coming from that flower. So cool. And just using like a, like a carbon and a hydrogen in a nice lab somewhere yes, without yes. ever even cutting the flower down. Yes. You know, just giving you an, a, a quick example, the rose, for example. Yeah. It's the, the smell of a rose is a composition of around 150 molecules, approximately. Um, so it's a, it's a very complex composition 
And those molecules that we use, they are actually a lot of times molecules that you would find in nature. Um, and then, you know, once we analyze them, we can just rebuild them and put them back in the same proportions as, as the real rose uh, does it. Now, would a master perfumer like you be able to tell the difference between a rose extract and a nature print rose? Or is the ah. uh, Yeah, well, it's actually ah. very different, you know, because when you do the extraction, uh, what happens is you use either steam distillation, so you use water and heat uh, to extract those rose petals, or you use a solvent to, um, you know, and you macerate those flowers, those petals in the solvent. So there's actually um, a transformation happening you know, uh. when you do this extraction, which means that the rose extract smells quite different from the, the rose headspace. Okay. And so Justin told us also about, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to butcher what this is, but you'll, you'll set us straight. Um, there's a way to create specific accords and notes, but based on the smell of the human body. Jess and I were fascinated by this. Oh, yeah. Does that work sort mm. of like the nature print? Do you stick your special machine in somebody's armpit and get those molecules? You could definitely do that. What? And I'm pretty oh sure. God, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they're actually doing that when they work on deodorants, you know, so because that's oh, yeah. really where you want to cover those bad odors, you know, so the body odor. Um, so definitely you need to know first what is the, the bad odor consists of before being able to successfully cover it, you know. You need to be uh, able to like identify the problem. Yes, exactly, you know. And uh, I mean, they do evaluations in armpits and see what works and what doesn't, you know. <laughs> I personally don't wor work in that area, but it's a very important one. Foot powder. Uh, yes, foot powder, you know, cat litter, imagine, you know. There's, uh, <laughs> so that's like a technical a... masking fragrance. They like do the negative of what a cat odor is so that you just end up smelling something neutral. Exactly. Fascinating. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. really, really cool. And wow. there's, you know, there's, I mean, there's softer, you know, sensual molecules out there or ingredients that we, we use. And I think what's important to say there is that sometimes you actually use what you would probably consider a bad smell uh, to make something better. You know, it's the only thing is that we, we would use this little bit of a, let's say, body odor note or something animalic or a little dirty smelling. We would use that in very, very small traces. So you can you cannot even uh, perceive it and it will add a warmth to the fragrance that, you know, will um, make it more attractive. So speaking of like more attractive scents, when we talk to <laughs> perfumers a lot, and actually we were talking to Justin, he was telling us that, you know, in perfumery right now, and really like forever, sex and danger are really important themes. And he said that, you know, it made us start thinking that like our listeners are very into, and Jen and I are very into this show. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Emily in Paris. Have you heard of it? Yes, actually, are you, you watching? know, uh, I, I'm, I'm starting, I'm ah, starting. What yes. episode are you on? But it's really, no, no, first one, you know, <laughs> first season, first episode. Are you so. hooked? I am, I am. It's really funny because, you know, it, I, I've lived in France myself. So, uh, you know, I can very much relate to the French. Actually, my, my wife is a French citizen. So um, it's very interesting to see those cultural differences between the French and, uh, and uh, the American culture, you know. But uh, also, you know, of course, fragrance, it's, that's my métier. So I, it's, it makes it even more exciting. Do you think, I mean, I really, we could devote this rest of this episode to this show, which don't worry, we're not going to. But like, do you think 
you know, because they, they have like the perfumer in it. I don't, I don't want to ruin too much for it, but like there's a lot of like the fragrance industry, the beauty industry, this, you know, wide-eyed American girl who's, you know, like dropped off in it. Like, are you, do you, there's a lot of cliches, but do you think that some of it is right? I really think so. It is. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I, I, we should have had you on for our episode yeah, where we just gossiped know, about definitely, it. Definitely, yeah. But, there's a there's a part I don't want to spoil the show for you, but there is a moment <laughs> in the show where a perfumer is having a discussion with Emily, and he says that this one scent that he's talking about, and he's a you know niche perfumer, and everyone thinks he like walks on water. He says that the scent smells like expensive sex. We want to know what does expensive sex smell like to you. Well, that's a good question. I have to, to think about that for a second. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's probably not vulgar, you know, and it's probably not obvious. And, you know, I think uh, that's maybe what makes it more expensive and a little bit more sophisticated. Um, you know, I think um, that, that wealthy woman in there, you know, uh, that we're thinking of the alpha female uh, with a heightened sense of for sexuality. She's probably very confident. And uh, I think that the fragrance she would wear um, or the sex with her would smell like, you know, very skin-like, you know, with mm. definitely there's an element of skin in there. Um, we touched on it a little earlier. You know, I think there's this... Um, contrast between clean and dirty, you know. So I think a little bit of dirty in there, but in a subliminal way, you know, I think it's definitely, uh, that would be part of it. Some musk note, again, you know, the, the skin texture, um, these would be the, the things I'd be thinking of, you know. What's a dirty note? Like dirt? Actual dirt? Uh, no, I think it's more uh, animalistic, you know, more mm. animal-like. So um, I'm just... For the record, I mean, we don't use natural animal extracts anymore. I mean, right. they, were, they, they were used in the past. But again, you know, a little bit like with the nature print, we, we know what they're composed of. Mm. So we figured out ways and we figure, you know, we have molecules and, and even natural products that have like an animalistic um, dimension. So that's what we use. You know, there's a famous civet, you know, the civet cat. Um, you know, and uh, the, the sexual glands of, of that one would, you know, have a secretion that smells kind of like honey, dirty. But we don't a little use bit that. Like, any, uh, like we use well, synthetic that. He's, he's yes. got nature prints of it. Okay, maybe not nature prints, yes. but a uh, similar. But yeah, I mean, they, they are pretty dirty. And I honestly, I, I tell you the truth, I, I love to work with those notes. Yeah. And, uh, but again, you know, I, I put them in my fragrance in a way that you, you won't notice them. Um, and, and, and they will add a warmth and a sexiness that, you know, you can't explain. Oh, mm. love that. Another trend, this is almost on the opposite. We talked about this a lot in perfumery in the world right now. There's a lot of opposites that are going on because we were looking for this balance. The other thing was nostalgia. And Justin didn't really get into what that smells like, but you as a perfumer, I wanted to ask you, what does nostalgia smell like to you? And does that differ across cultures? Uh, absolutely, you know. So nostalgia doesn't have one scent, you know, or one smell. So it's 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 a very interesting term, and I think lately even more so relevant. 
and uh, you could you could uh, explain nostalgia through different things you know so for example one of them is seasons you know just think about how you feel different in every season of the year you know how you feel different around christmas time or you know the holidays of thanksgiving get your families together um, or how you feel differently in spring you know when suddenly everything starts blooming and uh, you know the the sun gets out after like a very long cold depressive winter, you know, I'm, I'm based in New York, so I don't know where you guys are, but here in New York, it, it, the winters seem really long, you know? And um, so that's definitely um, the sense you associate with, with those different seasons are very different, you know? So Thanksgiving, you know, it's the home cooking, it's the spices, it's the, you know, the the cinnamon, uh, that you, the baking, you know, that I'm For Americans, of. you mean, right? For Americans. Yeah, exactly. cinnamon's a big yes. one for a lot of Americans. Definitely, you know. And then um, another, you know, another element of nostalgia is also people, you know. It's, it's just think about, and, and, you know, back then, our, our grandmothers, they probably were only wearing one fragrance, you know. So uh, nowadays, women, they like to wear like five, ten different scents and, um uh, but I think uh, the older generations, they were really, they had their fragrance, they were loyal to it, mm -hmm. and, and that's how you would recognize them, you know. So every time you would see your grandma, or your grandpa actually, um, you know, she would probably, or he would probably wear this one fragrance that you would identify yes. with them. And then you go somewhere else and you smell that fragrance again, that's, you know, makes you, could make you nostalgic and, and, and make you uh, remember your, um, uh, a loved one. And then also, I mean, for myself, for example, I remember as a TJ, teenager, I was wearing Azaro from, uh, you know, uh, Azaro. Right? No, not oh, the Chrome. That's, that's a version Way before. Of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the original Azaro man's fragrance, you know, it's like this aromatic fougere. And uh, I, I spent a week in the summer. There was a very happy moment in my life uh, in Vienna, in Austria. So today, when every time I smell this fragrance, that's that's where it takes me. You know, so it's a it's a good moment uh, back then. Now, are you uh, Austrian? German, actually. You're so, German. What's Ger yes. What's nostalgia smell like in Germany? Uh, oh well, that's a huge chapter <laughs> because there was really what was called German perfumery. So there was a period in the um, in the eighties um, where you know I don't know if you know this designer Wolfgang Job Job. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yes, well, I knew the, I, oh, I knew the fragrance. But yes, with the exclamation exactly. point. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, um, then there were other fragrances. There was cool water, um, and uh, let me think. Uh, Karl Lagerfeld, you know, also had a fragrance. And uh, I mean, that's that's like the, the German period, you know, there's um, and uh, they're very recognizable type of fragrances, you know, usually very sensual with some tonka, vanilla, uh, actually orange flower was used quite a bit in those fragrances as well, some woods. And uh, yeah, that's that's really a whole whole era of itself. German perfumery. So before we let you go, we're talking about the past. Let's talk about the future. What do you think? What are you most excited to be working on coming up with Fermanish? Um, I think, and, and maybe I'm a little bit influenced by what's been going on lately out there, you know, which is, uh, has been a difficult time for many, many people. Um, but I've always really believed that fragrance is, is for your own well-being, you know. And, and we, we talk a lot about fragrance uh, being used to, to seduce somebody or, you know, to have an effect on others. But I do feel that, you know, 
uh, fragrance can really play a big role for yourself and mm. your own comfort on however you want to feel, whether it's confident or sexy or sensual or clean or safe or just, you know, comforted. And um, I, I feel like that is something that people probably recognize more and more, you know, that fragrance can have this, create this positive emotion. Sometimes I feel perfumes are almost like doctors, you know. We, we <laughs> and uh, others think uh, fragrance is totally um, useless, you know, but I really do think that um, it really plays a role for your own well-being. And I, I think that's something that um, we could go uh, much further with, you know, and... Um, like so almost that, developing and, and, fragrances to, if you're feeling sad one day, wear this one. Or if you need to exactly. focus, this is the fragrance yes. for you. Mood I enhancers, that. you know. A, I love that. Mood, mood enhancers. And, and, you know, we found that, you know, that after uh, this COVID crisis or, or, you know, basically triggered a little bit uh, through, through um, COVID crisis, that uh, consumers are more aware of, um, you know, increasingly aware of scents. And also increase, increasingly find the, the positive aspects, you know, of, of fragrance and, and that it can have on you. And that's home fragrance, that's personal fragrance. Let's also not forget, you know, the role that fragrance plays in all these cleaners, you know, and, and all these hand sanitizers, etc. So there's definitely a role that fragrance can play to, to make you feel good. And I, I feel like this aspect of perfumery is definitely something that will grow. I'm excited for that. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. I love thank, that. Thank you so much for thank you. giving us a little insight yes. into your very complicated yes. job. But My pleasure. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Yes. Thank you thank both. You, it was a lot of fun. All right. Bye-bye. We can't leave our special episode without raising a wand. So just to cap it all off, we wanted to have a little fun and make our raise a wands perfumes. And of course, then I was like, let's give ourselves a challenge and make them Fermanish created perfumes. So we went back looking through their catalog of like dozens and hundreds, probably thousands of fine fragrances they've created over the years. I actually, I don't know about you, Jess, but I was like kind of surprised about how many things that were like big name fragrances came out of this company. I mean, I, well, I mean, they're like, Legend, like it's a legendary house. So I, I don't think you were really surprised. I think you were just, you know, I think you were just going back and it was more just like, yep, another hit, another hit, another hit. Uh, I cheated a little bit in this game. We played for each other and I picked two. So two. I'm sorry, is that okay? It's fine. <laughs> All right. I'm curious to see which one you picked too. But okay, first up um, was Nirvana White. The Elizabeth and James fragrance. You love Elizabeth and James fragrances, I feel like, right? I love that one. Did not know that uh, Honorine Blanc was the perfumer, I think. All right, let's not get into the perfumers. But Fermanish was the creator of the juice. You guys, I think I've raised a wand to that perfume before. It is so beautiful. Creamy and delicious. Mm. Lily of the Valley. Musk. It's like, I don't do florals. It's like a soft, soft floral for like, if you like a white floral, but sometimes they're just too big and ladylike, you just want like a softer, creamier white floral. So that is gorgeous. And then sort of on a similar vibe was Glossier U. They worked on that as well. And it has one of those like skin floral. These are just both like, oh my God, are they? They're just like an 
antidote, as Justin was talking about this, I feel like these are scents that are an antidote for like the craziness of the world right now. Very comforting and floral and nature and and just make me feel safe, if you mm. will. Mm-hmm. I like that. Did you end, I don't know. I, I think that was that was um I, I thought you were gonna take up more time. Oh, do you want me to keep going? I really could. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah that, they, they were kind of in tandem. I feel like they were like two, they were, they, were, they were like Twix bars. It was like two, but it was like one. All right, they don't smell alike, but it, they sit in the same section of my perfume uh, collection. Yeah. So I have it sort of grouped by like mood. Actually, this is funny. I'm just realizing this. You know how he was talking about like you use fragrance to create an emotion? I 100% do that. But in my like, I need comfort, soft, pretty mode, like not going out, not trying to be like hippie chick, none of my patchouli smoky. Like it's my like, just like my pretty Yeah, they're Yeah, exactly. My pretty soft section. And they both sit near each other. So in my head, they're like very of the same I thing. understand. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Where are you going? Where are you going with your pick? I am going to um, a place of purity, a place of simplicity. Oh. oh. I'm taking you back to the early, um, I would say, when when did Lodice come out? Um, I actually feel like I need to look that up. Wait, did quickly. you just say Lodice? Yeah, lo, yeah lo, Lodice. It's a Miyake fragrance. It's a Miyake. 92. Exactly. Early, say, 90s. early 90s. Yeah. Okay. So a revolution. You impressed I knew that? I am I am impressed. 1992. Okay. Yep. Got you. It's a um a very clean scent. And and when I say clean here, I'm not talking about um clean in the 2020 way. I'm talking about clean like it <laughs> smells clean, baby. Okay. It smells like the, the I think the brief was what what does water smell like? What would water oh, smell like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so this is what water would smell like to um, the perfumer. And it. I remember <laughs> my friend Jana wore it every single day in Oh, I love Jana. This makes Jana. me love the fragrance yeah. more. <laughs> and she wore, I'm sure this is exactly how the perfumer pictured it. She wore her polo sport fleece and low de, <laughs> low de say and her <laughs> tremendous white feels Steve, like Steve, Steve Madden, you know, clodhopper. Um, sneakers, Jana, you're gonna kill me if you hear this. Yeah, Issey Miyake definitely. Yeah, this is exactly that when- the elegance that it, she just floated. You know, in the in, the, in uh, <laughs> she walked into bio and she just floated <laughs> with this fragrance. But to me, it, that sums up the '90s. It was just like awesome. And I have so many positive memories associated with it. And it was floaty, just, ethereal, liquidy. Yeah. Yeah. It was fresh. It was clean. I didn't mind a cloud of it in class every single day. So yeah, I it just, it's, it's fantastic and it's timeless. You can buy it now and you don't feel like it smells dated. So if you also haven't that tried it, was yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. If you haven't tried it, please go buy it or try it. And I guarantee you that you will, um, you'll love it. Oh, raise a wand to that. And raise a wand to Fermanish for sponsoring uh, this week's episode. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com. We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at Fat Mascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. 